Digital. Student-centred. Creative. Innovation. Imagination. Initiative. Stories that matter. I'm Jo Elliott, and this is Tales of Teaching Online, brought to you by Deakin Learning Futures. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this episode of Tales of Teaching Online. Today, we're joined by Trish McCluskey, um, who has recently uh, returned to Deakin as our Director of Digital Learning. Trish, welcome to the podcast, and thank you for joining us. Hey, Joe. It's good to be back at Deakin. Um, some of our listeners will know you already from when you worked at Deakin in the past, and some of the the exciting projects you've been involved with at other institutions. But can you start off by telling us a little bit about who you are, um, some of the those projects that um, people might have heard about, and how you came to be back at Deakin? Okay. Um, it is really good to be back at Deakin, especially now that working flexibly has become such a thing. Who knew we could all be trusted to work from home and be so productive? Um, so that was a determining factor in me returning to Deakin because the last time I was here in 2014 and 15, I think it was, I live in the west of Melbourne and driving to Burwood campus, which was over the Westgate Bridge, through the tunnel, up the Monash, up Turek Road, was a real drainer. So I found it really difficult to actually in, um, sustain that over a, a period of time. So when I got the opportunity to return to Victoria University, which is much closer to home, um, I reluctantly took it because I had enjoyed my time at Deakin previously, where I was the um, pod leader in the Faculty of Health. And uh, it was a very exciting time back then, too. So in 2016, I took up the position at Victoria University of Director of Connected Learning. Um, and I introduced and co-led a, a major transformation project, which was called the Block Model, which you may have heard of. This was um, a radical departure from the traditional model of higher education, where students study four units concurrently over a semester. And what we did was we designed a program where students studied one unit at a time over four weeks. And that was in small classes where there was one academic um, who was teaching and leading each unit. It was a highly successful project and the students loved it. Uh, it was co-designed with students and with staff from across the, the university, including librarians, IT staff, admin staff. Uh, yeah, so it was a, a whole of university project and it absolutely reinforced for me the, the value of collaboration and, and connectivity. Um, during that time, I was also chair of a community health board uh, and uh, where I could combine all of my passions because my first career was actually in health and mental health. So um, getting involved in education and health at the same time was great. And at the time, as if I wasn't busy enough, I was also on the executive of the Council of Australian University Leaders in Learning and Teaching, which is the peak body for um, the university sector for learning and teaching. And that was a great experience and a great opportunity to connect with um, learning and teaching leaders from across the sector. So that's, in a nutshell, what I've been doing sort of for the last <laughs> five, and, six years. And there's so many projects in that that I'm really interested to hear 
more about, but I thought um, given your um, your position in the higher education sector as really a leader in education, in digital education, connected learning, um, what I really wanted to pick your brain about today was um, what's coming up in um, in the field of, of digital learning. Um, what is it that you see as the, the biggest, the most exciting opportunities that we have over the next few years? Oh, just a moment and I'll get out my crystal ball and dust it off here and just tell you exactly what's going to happen in the next couple of years, Joe. Um, one of my enduring mantras is finger on the pulse and eye on the horizon. So I like to ensure that we're doing the very best we can today uh, while we anticipate and plan for tomorrow. I think the pandemic has probably accelerated and intensified the trends that were already underway in the sector, you know, especially around the use of digital tools, communication tools, le learning and teaching tools. <laughs> I can pull off the shelf any list of, you know, the next big things, the 10 things like Educause, the Horizon Report. They all list what's coming over the horizon at us. It's interesting, though, that none of them actually picked that there would be a pandemic and we would have this opportunity. So, so I'm always cautious about, you know, being certain about definitely what's um, uh, the next big thing. I get excited, but also a bit spooked by the speed of digital technology advancement. Um, things that we may have considered to be pure science fiction in the past are really close to reality today and have crept up on us. I suppose if you think about it in terms of the phases of the web, you know, the internet, um, we're now up to version web, web 3, 3.0 whatever you care to call it. So, so web one was a focus very much on, you know, you go, you see, you read. And I remember, you know, being very excited when I first discovered, I remember Google being invented. So having a search engine like Google that would actually find things for you to read and learn from was, you know, the epitome of innovation at the time. But then we had Web 2, which is much more focused on interaction and um, social connection, and that enabled us to engage with other people and to share resources. And that, I think, was probably the social web and was a good opportunity for people to um, re-engage with networks and um, share, you know, being from the Northern Hemisphere, it was a great opportunity for me to share photographs of my kids, with my family, all those sorts of things. But we're now moving into what's known as Web 3, which is, is much more, you know, Web 2, Web 1 and 2 was controlled by the big corporations, you know, like Microsoft, Facebook, those sort of things. So we were the product. We were the, the, the product that was being sold and our data was not owned by us. So there's much more awareness now of um, the need for privacy and control of, of the data that is out there about us. So I think Web3 is moving much more into a decentralized, um, self-sovereign model where we can control uh, what's out there um, about us and uh, using things like blockchain technology. Um, I dare I say it, the metaverse, <laughs> there will be more opportunity to connect in virtual reality. Uh, the use of, of cryptocurrencies. So I think things are rapidly moving forward. In learning and teaching, um, 
we've got to leverage that. Uh, we've got to support our students and uh, academic staff and professional staff to engage with these things and not to feel overwhelmed. So I think that we, we really need to pace ourselves. We need to ensure that we're providing support for, for our teams and for our stakeholders in the higher education sector, because it's been a really bumpy couple of years and people are tired. So, you know, that's that's what I see as being sort of the opportunities coming forward, but we need to pace ourselves. I think that's a really excellent point because you mentioned before, um, while a lot of the developments, and I know you and I have had um, quite a lot of conversations about some of the AI developments as well, so I'm going to come back to that in a mm -hmm. moment, um, but while a lot of these developments and new technologies are really exciting, as, as you said, they're also a bit spooky um, and particularly thinking about privacy and data security and the sheer amount of technology and new opportunities that are coming with us. I think if we're not being mindful about what we're using and what we're using it for and how we're using it, um, we, we run the risk of opening a, a really big can of worms. So I think that support, that iterative, um, careful exploration, while not, um, we don't want to miss out on the opportunities, but we also don't want to rush in headlong and end up building a, a system for ourselves that really is putting us all at risk. And as you mentioned before, handing over a lot of our, our data to big organisations who yeah. we don't know what they're using it for. Yeah, and and we have a duty of care to to our staff and to our students to support them in that journey and to highlight the risks that are involved and to um, educate them on how to um, navigate the risks and how to you know validate the information that they're seeing in in some of these tools. And think probably a bit more critically about what what we are signing up for. Um, whilst there's a lot of um, criticism, you know, in in higher education about the learning management system, uh, and that it doesn't reflect what happens in the real world, I think it is a safe space for us to to play in and to test things and to bring in some of the you know other tools like you know we're we're currently using at Deakin and we did at my previous university, um, feedback fruits and H five P, which are are really good because we're co designing those tools as we build them with with those vendors, and they have the student learning at heart. Yeah, and I think it's a really nice way to allow students to be able to explore some of those tools in a in a new context because let's face it we talk about digital natives and I'm not going to go into how flawed that um, that whole concept is um, anyone who wants to talk to me about it is free to reach out um, but um, just because people use technology all the time does not necessarily mean that they're familiar with using it for a particular purpose or in a particular context in a particular way. So I think having the 
while the boundaries of the LMS can at times be frustrating, it does, as you say, create a safe space for students to be able to explore their professional identity um, and their, their learning, develop some of those digital literacies in an environment that has, I guess, fewer consequences than doing it out in the big wide world. And, and um, just going to your point, Joe, about um, digital natives and digital immigrants, uh, that has been totally debunked. But there has been another theory put forward by, and quite a while ago now, by Dave White in the UK, and it's the concept of digital visitors or digital residents. And I think that increasingly people are becoming resident in the digital world because there's always some device on or they're connected to some program. <clears throat> So if you only go to the internet, switch on your computer to do your banking, for example, you know, so you, you go there for a reason and then you turn it off and you leave, that would be considered a visitor. Whereas if you're a resident, you always have things going in the background, you know, you have your notifications on your phone, you have your mobile apps. So increasingly we are becoming digital residents and, and the digital is becoming an extension of ourselves and, and let's use it for good. Yeah, I think that's a, I, I do really like that um, resident visitor theory. I think it um, describes it very, very nicely. Um, so maybe when we, we share this uh, podcast, we'll also include a, a link to, to some of that work. It's certainly worth looking at. Um, and but, we do have we have that idea. Sorry to cut across you, Joe. We have that idea that somehow our students coming into universities are um, all digital residents and they're all fluent in the use of digital technologies and that's not actually the case and we also make a lot of assumptions about some um, let's say more mature academics or more mature staff that somehow they're Luddites and they don't you know they're not fluent in the use of technologies some of the best um, use of technology that I have seen or blogs that I've read have been by people who are retired long ago, you know, who actually are very fluent in the use of the technology. So it's it's changing that generational perspective that somehow digital is for the younger people and, you know, um, us older folk are book driven, which is not necessarily the case. Uh, as I, I travelled to um, Ireland recently on a trip and I brought a big thick book with me to read on the plane and I was very excited because I spend a lot of time in the digital world and I found myself swiping the pages. It was a really interesting, you know, thinking about how our brains are hardwired now to use digital tools. And I think... Um... Aside from um, questioning that assumption that um, our students are um, digital residents, let's um, go with that, and um, staff might be digital visitors, there's also the, um, we need to throw out that assumption that our students are the young folk and our um, staff are necessarily older and more experienced um, because that's not necessarily always the case. They're um, more experienced in their particular field. But um, yeah, certainly the, uh, the student cohort has changed. 
Trish, thank you so much for joining us today for the podcast. Um, you've certainly given me a lot to think about in terms of the future uh, directions of um, educational technologies and some of the things we, we need to think about. Um, and I know that I will certainly be questioning some of my assumptions. Um, so on that note, we will leave it for today. But thank you once again, uh, Trish and everybody listening for joining us for this episode.